Amen. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, one more announcement real quick. Those of you who have kids sixth grade and up, youth group is starting next week, and it's going to be looking a little different. So grab the calendars. They're on the table back there. The biggest thing is we have a meeting this Wednesday here at 630 uh, with parents, with leaders. It's going to be a time for us to pray together and talk about what this next semester is going to look like with our kids because it's going to be a little bit different, but we're excited. Um, grab your Bibles and turn to Mark while I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that you do move. Thank you that we don't have to fabricate feelings. We don't have to uh, manipulate anything to to build a church, God, but, but that, God, you are on the move and our job is simply to follow, to join you. And so we ask that you would move. Uh, move among us this morning. Move among us this year. I pray for all the kids in this room and in the room next door that this year they would grow in their love for you. Uh, I pray for the marriages in this room and the ones not in this room that this year they would heal, they would grow, they would get even better. Um, God, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So when our kids were younger, they're still fairly young, but when they were younger, one of their favorite things was I would tell them stories, and I would make up the story as I went, uh, and their favorite was hero stories. And it, it got really interesting when the cousins would come visit, and there's like eight kids, and I'm trying to make up a story, include every kid in the story, and I would give them each a superpower, and of course they wanted to correct me as it went on, how they wanted to use their superpower, and it could be talking to animals, and then the squirrels would attack the aliens. Anyway, it was a lot of fun, but the kids loved that story. They loved having superpowers. They loved, you know, the, the adventure of what that would be. Um, as we watch movies, X-Men or whatever it is, their conversation almost every time afterward is, which one do you want to be? You know, which, who would you be if you were a superhero? This year, 2019, I read an article yesterday, there are more superhero movies coming out in 2019 than any year before. There's like 13. I can't wait. Uh, Shazam. I talked about it last week. That one's going to be great. A bunch of them. But the, the question is, why? Why are these movies and stories so exciting, these hero movies? Uh, how about the, the Harry Potter series? Why was that so so much of a hit and somewhat controversial, you know, within the church, witches and wizards and stuff. But why are we drawn to those stories? And I think the reason is there's a shadow of truth in these stories that reaches our heart. There's this shadow of truth with the fantastic. When I was younger, one of my favorite books, well, a lot of my favorite books, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, all the, the, um, the Hobbit was one of the first novels I read, or Fantasties by James MacDonald. All these books, C.S. Lewis, he had all the, the Chronicles of Narnia. What's exciting about those is this adventure, uh, this supernatural, the battle with evil. But yet, there's this piece of us that wants that, but then we live in a culture that really says none of that is real. It's all natural. So it's natural laws. It's, you know, evolution and all. There is no supernatural but here in Mark, we're going to see Mark telling us about Jesus. He's going to be sharing the stories of Jesus that he heard from Peter, who was there with him. And we're going to see that really all this supernatural is real. Maybe not like the stories we see, but there is a hero. There is this battle between good and evil, and there is a hero, and it's Jesus. That's the title of this whole series, is Jesus Superhero. Because he is the hero that we've been waiting for forever. He's the hero that's available to us. And this fantastic is real. And so I, I begin just with this question. 
Do you believe in Jesus's power? Do you rely on Jesus's power? Or do you have a tendency, like maybe I might at times, to be more like this world and just everything is just natural, coincidence. Things are just what they are as they happen to be rather than recognizing what's going on behind the scenes. Mark is going to show us some of that. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 4. Now last week we saw Jesus begin his ministry. He got baptized by John the Baptist. He came up out of the water. God spoke to him and said, you are my son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. And then he kicked him out into the wilderness. So the spirit took Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted by the enemy, Satan, for 40 days. He walked out of there hungry, but victorious. He was tempted in many ways, in all ways that we are, but yet without sin. So Jesus then went into town after John the Baptist was arrested. Jesus went into town and he began preaching. And his message was, repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. Repent, meaning turn from sin, turn from religion. If you recognize where he was going, he was going into Jewish areas. So they were all really all about the religion of Judaism. And so he was saying, turn to God, not your religion isn't going to do it. Turn from your sin, turn to God through him, Jesus Christ, believe in the gospel. So there's this repent message that he continued that John the Baptist started. So Jesus here is probably about 27 years old-ish. He started preaching. He recruited his, his 12 disciples to follow him. And then they continue. And, and Mark, the reason this series is called Jesus Superhero, is Mark is really action-oriented. As you read through the other Gospels, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called that because they're very similar. They tell the same story. But it's told differently. Mark is really, he, he uses the word immediate, uh, immediately a lot. You know, this happens, then this is, happens, then this happens. And here, we're going to see Jesus in action. And Jesus battling, really, the enemy. We saw that beginning last week, that Jesus was tempted by the devil. Well, if Jesus is going around preaching this message of repentance and believe it, and, and people are being saved through that, who's going to hate that message? The enemy. The enemy is very real. Evil is very, very real. Satan is very real. And so he was coming after Jesus to prevent him succeeding in this ministry. Look at Mark 4. We're going to start in verse 35. This is after Jesus had been teaching. It was night. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, saying, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, before we look at this, and we're going to look at some other passages, why is this story in the Bible? Do you ever think about that? Or when you read, do you ask the question, why was this included? 
John, at the end of his gospel, he made the statement that if everything Jesus did was written down, the books in the world couldn't contain them. So whoever wrote this, this one being Mark, a close companion of Peter, chose what to write down, meaning under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this was put down on paper on purpose for a purpose. Why? A lot of times as I've read in my life, just, I'm just reading, it's just a story. But every story has a purpose. And so I would ask, what's the purpose of this story? Because it kind of lays out why the next stories come. And it's based on the questions, the question that the disciples ask. But picture this scene, the Sea of Galilee. This is a, a sea that's 700 feet, almost 700 feet below sea level. Uh, it is smaller than Lake Tahoe. So maybe we don't think about that very often, but Lake Tahoe is 12 miles wide. So if you're at Virginia Beach or one of those beaches and you look across and you can see the other side, that's about 12 miles. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide. So four miles, there's some percentage there. But Jesus, a lot of his ministry was done around the Sea of Galilee. Well, here they, they were fishermen. They get on the boat to cross to the other side. Jesus had some things to do over there. And this storm comes up. Anybody ever been on Tahoe when there's a big storm? Nobody? That's wise. <laughs> we, we got a boat years ago. I, I got it. I traded some work for it, and it was this piece of junk boat that didn't have reverse. So if you don't know, boats, uh, they don't have brakes, but they have reverse. Our boat didn't even have reverse. Uh, it had no windshield because it was, it was a piece of junk. And we decided 4th of July, we were going to go out and watch the fireworks from the water. Stupidest thing I've ever done. Because we're out there, and the waves come up, it's pitch black, and the lake is full of other boats that had been drinking. And so we're trying to get back in pitch black, and there's waves coming over the side. So this picture, I mean, this is way worse than what, but there were waves coming over the side. The bilge pump, they didn't have one of those back then. I it was just running full speed, getting all the water out, but part of it was our boat was overloaded. We had cousins and way too many people. Anyway, it was a scary thing. It, it was scary. We were out on the water, we couldn't see. This was way, way worse. These are professional fishermen scared to death. They thought they were going to die. The waves were coming over the side. You can just picture them with ropes tied around their waist, tied to the mast there, bailing the water out. They're scared, and they're looking around going, where's Jesus? And he's asleep. So they wake him up and say, do you care that we're about to die? And I picture Jesus kind of yawning, and he gets up, and he goes, and he goes, hey, shut up. <laughs> and boom, it just stops. He says, peace. Be still. And the words that he uses are actually fairly unique. He rebukes the wind and he says, be still. That word is actually be muzzled. So it was kind of literally shut up. And some would argue that this storm was a supernatural evil storm sent by Satan by the words that Jesus uses to calm it. Some would, would argue that this storm was sent by Satan after the temptations failed, that Satan was going to take Jesus out this way, that he wouldn't be able to complete his mission. Now, you can argue that, but I don't think that's the main point of this. The main point, as you see, is that Jesus has authority over nature. He has complete authority over nature. He can speak, and that's all it takes. By calming the storm, Jesus displayed his power over nature. And we're going to see in the following stories kind of the highlights of Jesus' power. And there's a reason why we see these highlights of Jesus' power, and it's centered on the conversation Jesus has with the disciples after he calms the storm. And picture this. It goes from a great windstorm, fearing for their lives, to perfectly calm. You ever been on water when it's perfectly calm? 
That's great skiing weather, but perfectly calm. They're going to have to row now because there's no wind to blow their sails. So Jesus turns to them. They're still dripping wet. They're probably holding their buckets, ropes tied around their waist. And Jesus says, why are you guys afraid? Do you still have no faith? That's where Jesus went. His message was repent and believe. And here he says, do you have no faith? And what did the disciples say to each other? Who is this guy? (laughs) They had been with him. They had seen some things, but this is what they're they're, they're going. Who, Who can speak to the weather and calm the storm? That's the key. If you want to know why this story is in here, we're looking at Jesus's power and he's going to answer this question. Who is this? That's the greatest question anybody can ever ask. Who is Jesus? Not just who is he, but then who is he to you? Look on. After Jesus calms the storm, by the way, this isn't the only time we see Jesus with nature. There's a, another point where he speaks to a fig tree. I think that's kind of a fun story. They're walking by and the fig tree's not bearing figs. He's like, I curse you, fig tree. And the fig tree just withers. Um, there's another time Jesus walks on water. Same Sea of Galilee. He walks on water, defies nature. Uh, he feeds close to 10,000 people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. So all of these natural things and, and the world we live in is really all about what's natural. Jesus was way beyond all of that. He had control over everything natural. And they ask, who is this? Well, let's look on in Mark 5, verse 1. After this, they get to the other side eventually. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped off the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. It goes on talking about this man who was possessed by, as you look through, many demons. He said, he said who are you? What's your name? I am Legion, for we are many. And, and eventually Jesus casts them out. And they go into these pigs and the pigs run off a cliff, kind of a dramatic scene. But you see at first, this demon-possessed man comes running out of the tombs. He recognizes Jesus immediately. Uh, And if you read through the Gospels, often demon-possessed people, the demons knew who Jesus was. And Jesus would tell them to be silent because he didn't want the demons, you know, pointing out who he is. He wanted people to learn who he was, but not from demons. Repeatedly in the Gospels, you see demon possession. So, is demon possession real? Absolutely. Uh, Is it like the movies portray? Probably not. Um, You know, I've spoken to those who who have gotten involved with deliverance ministry, those in the occult, kind of crazy stuff. Uh, But there is a lot of demonic activity even right now. If you want to know where there's great demonic activity, it's in Utah. Uh, You can probably figure out why. But there is a lot of demonic activity still. But here you see Jesus encountering demons. But what do you see? Jesus has complete authority over demons. I think this is important to recognize, what does he call them? Unclean spirits. Do you realize there is a spiritual realm we can't see? As you look through and you read in the Old Testament, remember Elijah? Elijah with with his servant there, and and there's an army coming to kill him, basically, because he's a prophet from God. And he's not afraid, but his servant is afraid. And so Elijah prays, God, help him to see what I can see. And he opens his eyes, and all over the mountains around are chariots of fire, angels there ready to do God's bidding. That is real. I think that's part of why 
this story is included is, is pointing out this spiritual realm. Maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I disagree with that. I think we're called as Christians to recognize what's going on spiritually. Paul says, do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And then Paul goes on and he discusses the spiritual armor. But our battle in Ephesians 6, 12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual realm. There are evil spirits who are after people and are after us. I think this is important for us to note that our enemy is never another human. People can be used by the enemy, but people are not the enemy. People need to be saved from the enemy. But Jesus, again, we're, we're, we're looking at this battle going on. Jesus, one of his superpowers, although he's got like all of them, spiritual forces, it's nothing for him. Jesus has complete power over evil spirits, complete power. Jesus, we know from John 1, 1, Jesus is the creator. Demons are fallen angels. Jesus created them. So, so this battle isn't even a battle. I mean, this is like Superman against a five-year-old with a stick. It's, it's not a battle. And so we don't need to be afraid. James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is a real battle we need to be aware of, but we don't need to fear. We submit to Jesus. Uh, if, uh, if you've ever moved into a new house, this is one of the things we, we do when we move into a new house. We'll walk through the house and we'll just pray out loud. We'll pray out loud the power of Jesus, the power of God over that space. We'll pray out loud if there are any evil spirits, any wicked spirits around, they're not welcome in that place anymore. This is part of the battle that with Jesus, we can always win because Jesus has complete power over evil spirits. So we see that story. And then he continues. Look at 5.21. And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat, I don't know why he keeps going back and forth. Just do everything on one side, then, but he keeps going back and forth. And when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 
Jesus healed this woman. One of the great themes throughout all the gospels is Jesus' power to heal. Jesus healed all the time. The man with the withered hand, he said, stretch it out. He stretched it out and it was healed. The, uh, the man who was crippled and lame, laying on the ground, he said, pick up your mat and walk. He picked up his mat and he walked. Jesus healed repeatedly. A time he was in a, in a room and he's teaching and everybody's so crowded in this little house that they can't get to him. So this group of friends grab their lame friend and they climb up on the roof and they rip it open and they lower him down. Fun story when you're a kid. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. It's a cool story. He says, your sins are forgiven. Uh, the religious leaders there are saying, who is this that can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And he says, so you guys know that I can forgive sins? He says, pick up your pallet and walk. Jesus repeatedly healed people. Jesus had complete power over the body, sickness, and disease. What question would you ask if you're in that crowd and this woman comes out and gets on her knees and she says, you just healed me. She says, your faith is made. What would you ask? Who is this man? This is why these stories are in here, to answer the question, who is Jesus? And he's highlighting his power. He has power over nature, complete power. He has power over the spiritual realm, complete power. He has power over the body and of sickness, complete power. Mark's point is he's highlighting, boom, Jesus' superpowers, you could say, leading to the answer of the question that Jesus asked. Why are you afraid why don't you have faith? As we understand the power of Jesus, who he is, it leads to faith. Faith is complete trust in him no matter what. That's the point of all these stories. You can trust him. But he goes on. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who had said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any farther? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Did you see the theme there? He said that to the disciples. Why are you afraid? You need to believe, have faith. Here he says, do not fear, but believe. The opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of fear is faith. The answer to fear is faith in Jesus. Verse 37 and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. The people that saw this were filled with Amazement. The disciples on the boat when he healed were amazed. And it leads to the question, who is this? Who is Jesus? Jesus has the power over life and death. Remember the story of Lazarus. Lazarus dead four days, buried in a tomb. And Jesus goes, he says, open up the tomb. And they say, oh Lord, he's going to stinketh. 
They open up the tomb anyway. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. The way they did it, they were Lazarus came hopping out like this. He said, go unwrap him. And Lazarus ate meals with them. Later, Lazarus would die again. But Jesus has complete power over life and death, which really is a shadow or a highlight of his real power over spiritual life and death. Jesus came, the God-man, God in flesh, the Messiah, to save us from our sins. Jesus came to take the dead, which is all of us, and make us alive in him. He has that power, and he's the only one that has that power. Power over life and death. All of these stories, this is why we're doing kind of a survey. It's, it's fun to do a survey because you can see kind of a big, broad picture, not just, I mean, we could spend all day just on any one of these miracles. But why all of it? To answer the question, who is this? This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. He is the one with all authority. Do you believe that? Do you pray as if it's true? The same Jesus then is still alive now. And he operates, he, he, he lives in and through his people. Someday Jesus is going to return physically, bodily, and rule. But until then, he's still at work now, just like he was then. Do we live as if we know it? Do we have fear or do we have faith? As we were preparing this, and I've just been praying, my prayer is that we won't be like the world, that we will still be amazed by the fantastic, that we still will have our eyes open to heavenly things. Again, not, not living in that. There's a danger here. There's a danger of, of wanting to live on miracles and signs and wonders. And I would say, I, you know, I'm from more of a conservative background, one that would lean toward cessationism, meaning all those miracle things, those don't happen anymore. Uh, people aren't healed like that anymore. I would say, no. <laughs> the Holy Spirit still does heal. He still does those things. I, I know I have firsthand accounts of people who have experienced this kind of healing. Uh, people I trust from same traditions as me who, who kind of struggle with that belief, diagnosed with something, uh, they go and they have other people pray over them. They go back to the doctor and the doctor goes, I don't know. <laughs> it was here, now it's gone. I don't know. These things still happen, but we don't live on the miracles. The point is who is Jesus? The point is not the miracles, the signs, the wonders. We can get wrapped up in signs and wonders and, and get stuck on that. And I think the reason why we don't see a lot of that stuff going on is that takes the focus off of Jesus. The, the reason you ever see all these miracles, by the way, in scripture, you only really see these things three times in all of history. You see him with Moses. When Moses set it, you know, God set his people free using Moses, Moses did signs and wonders because there was a new message that had to be given. Moses was giving them a, a new message, calling these people to follow. The other time was with Elijah, Elijah and Elisha. They did signs and wonders. They raised people from the dead. They did miracles, but it was because they had a message that God wanted to give to his people. And then you don't see it again until Jesus and the disciples. And so God's design isn't for us to live on signs and wonders. God's whole design is for us to focus on Jesus. That's why these stories are in here. Answers the question, who is Jesus? And once you know who he is, you can trust him. You can trust him completely. Repent, believe, follow. That's the message of the Gospels. Are you following Jesus? Do you need a hero? <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to request yesterday as I was going through all this again. You remember that old 80s song? We need a hero. Anyway, uh, I was going to request that Paul play it, but it was probably too late. Uh, go home, look it up. Great song. <laughs> but the reason that came to mind was, do you need a hero today? And Jesus isn't our genie in the bottle. He's not, you know, you rub your Bible and out pops Jesus to give you whatever you want. But do you need a hero? Are you down? Are you hurting? Are you sick? Are you depressed? Jesus is the answer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for being our hero. Thank you for being the answer. God, if we accomplish nothing else when we gather together, we want to get to know you more, which leads to adoring you, loving you, and worshiping you. Because Jesus, you are worthy of all worship, all honor, all glory, all praise. And so we give it to you. Jesus, thank you for being available to us. Thank you for healing us spiritually. Everybody in here that has placed their faith in you as Lord, that's a miracle. They have gone from death to life because of you. Holy Spirit, I, I ask as we sang before the message. We sang that when you fall, we fall on our knees. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to be here among us, please, for your glory and for our healing. If anybody in here needs you right now, grab their heart. Give them the comfort they need. If anybody in here has not placed their faith in you as Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, grab their heart and don't let them walk out the door until they bow the knee to you. God, we have marriage problems. We need help. <laughs> We have parent-child problems. We need help. We have sin problems in our own lives. We need you. Jesus, draw us close to you. Be glorified as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.